Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And as always, I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. Well, everybody who's listening now, I am so excited for this because this episode is the turning point of season four. And the way that we structured this season of the podcast was going to be that the first half would have interviews with guests, just like we normally do. But the second half of this season is actually going to turn, and we're going to do a series of nine episodes with Grant Falco and myself, where we outline the eight departments of a hearth business and then have one final episode for questions and answers. So I'm excited for today because this is the last episode of this season where we have a traditional guest. And this is a topic I've thought about for a long time, and I wanted it to be something special, and I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So this episode is all about the legacy of Tom Pugh. Now, if that's not a name that's familiar to you, shame on you, because Tom Pugh is someone that changed the course of our industry, and I guarantee that you have been impacted by his legacy, whether you know it or not. Now, Tom Pugh's the person who basically invented the clean face fireplace. He had this idea back in the day for a fireplace with a monster flame that was purposely inefficient and put no heat off into the room. And everybody thought he was crazy, but he kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And eventually that turned into what's now known today as town and country fireplaces and ultimately the clean face design that changed everything. And Tom was someone that had a deep passion for our industry itself. He came out with a document a number of years ago, probably going 15 years back or more, called The Blueprint for Success. And this was something that would walk dealers step-by-step through how to run a successful hearth business. And as I've been traveling around, I've actually talked with business owners that are still using the blueprint for success today, and they're making great money and they have a successful business because of the framework that it laid out. Now, another thing that Tom did as well was institute the Government Affairs Academy. He believed that our industry needed to have a training ground to teach people how to deal with government both locally and nationally. And this is something you've heard me talk about before, going back to season one of the podcast, that I believe this Government Affairs Academy, it is the leadership training program for our industry. And it's a life-changing event that opens up your eyes to the scale at which our industry association, the HPBA, deals with. And it's really thanks to Tom that this academy was instituted. Now, sadly, Tom passed away in 2012, and I actually only met him once. I went to one of his sales seminars and was just blown away a number of years ago. And I feel like with where our industry is now, it would just be very fitting to talk about the legacy of this man who was really able to see further down the road than everybody else. And in thinking about the best way to capture this, I wanted to reach out to Bill Lentz. Bill Lentz worked with Tom for years, and he had perspective into Tom's life that few others did. And I was excited to talk to Bill about this, and and actually, just laying my cards on the table, we're going to do a follow-up conversation with Bill, because 
I'm not joking. He is one of the best sales minds out there for our industry. He's like the Phil Jackson of fireplaces. You're going to know what I mean as we get into this conversation, but his approach to sales is out of this world. And so in this conversation, we're going to talk about the legacy of Tom Pugh, but we are going to do a future episode where we dive deep into the art of sales. So as you listen to this conversation, what I want you to be thinking about is this. Tom was someone who wasn't afraid to take a risk. He saw what had to be done and he did it. Even in the face of opposition, even when people thought he was crazy, he knew it was important and he went after it. I'd imagine for everyone listening now that's in the midst of the COVID disruption, those words mean something. And my hope is that this conversation gives you the confidence and the inspiration to do what needs to be done as you forge a new path forward. So with that in mind, we're going to jump into the conversation. And as always, we'll circle back at the end and talk about it. Joining me from Brookings, Oregon is Bill Lentz. Now, Bill's someone that's worked for years in our industry. He was a sales manager at FPI. He worked with Regency, ICC, and most importantly, I want to talk to him about when he worked at Lloyd F. Pugh and Associates. Bill, how are you doing today? Doing great. I'm really looking forward to uh, talking about our, our mutual friend, Tom. Yeah, I'm excited for this. And and I know that I'm pulling you out of retirement for this interview. And so I appreciate you being here. You know, funny thing, people you say retirement and people, everyone has their own individual idea of what that is. It really just is a word that, sa- that says something has changed and I'm no longer working for money anymore. Uh, but uh, uh, you're not pulling me out of anything. Uh, this is a, a real treat for me. You know, I know this is going to be an interview where we're going to talk about your friend Tom Pugh. But just to give people a, a sneak peek, I, I want to talk about your concept of selling in the ultimate showroom because I've taken a lot of your courses over the years and this is what I always took away was just this concept of selling in the ultimate showroom. And can you just talk a little bit about why is that so important for our industry to realize? And maybe we'll have to have another episode down the road where we dive deep into this. Sure. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story how that came about. Tom and I were on a trip, a buying trip to uh, China. He, he used to do that like once every other year or something like that before I ever came along, I think. Uh, and he was a real student of the game. Anyway, and he, and he had an unquenchable thirst, really, uh, for sales. On that trip, he heard back from Richard Wright, who unbeknownst to me, he had talked to about me writing a series of articles on sales. And he said, okay, Richard's uh, go with this. He just needs like uh, four t- or five titles from you of articles. And, you know, again, out of the blue. So I remember on an airplane napkin writing down, uh, closing the sale and uh, selling in the ultimate showroom. That, that idea came about, because, again, because I think I saw that the folks around me were focusing a little bit on the wrong thing that they're making their job harder by focusing on trying to make the physical uh, space and the physical products sell and, and not, not realizing that the physical products and the space they're, they're displayed in are there to evoke uh, an emotion, a feeling in the customer. They're not buying products, they're buying experiences from you. Yeah. And uh, so if you're going to tap in to what it is they're doing and what your role is in encouraging that, 
then you better get to know what goes on inside your customer's mind. And so, you know, of course, the little trick is that uh, when you ask a retailer, where do you make most of your sales? You know, the smart guy will say, well, uh, while well, we do home visits and it's much easier to close a sale at the home. And you go like, okay, why do you think that is? You know, And uh, I don't know. Uh, you think maybe perhaps it has something to do with the customer's state of mind when they're sitting in their home. <laughs> is that possible? Uh, anyway. Literally, literally this morning, I had a call with a dealer on the East Coast and I said, you have to start selling in the home. You have to. (laughs) It is a gold mine. Well, it's just like selling to a guy, uh, you you know, you need to have a burning display in your showroom. And they go, "Eh, you know, they're they're all lined up here. That's nice. Yeah. If you were really about two or three times better than you are, or more skillful, I should say, not better, you're wonderful, but if you were more skillful in sales, okay. But what do you think lighting that thing off does? I mean, it, it evokes an experience for a person. So they get it. It isn't, again, the metal or the thickness of glass. Or, uh, it, it, but they get to experience it directly. Okay, so that's so you're trying to give people these direct experiences, immersive experiences, as they say these days. So anyway, uh, that's how that that came about. And in order to go into the mind, we sort of use some amateur psychology, you know, I, I minored in that and stuff like that, but uh, just uh, understanding people's motivations, the hierarchy of needs. We use Maslow's yeah. uh, hierarchy of needs because it was a nice, easy sort of a scheme that you could understand security being the basic need people are trying to satisfy up into self-actualization. Yeah. And you're selling at all these different levels and you can, right? You can, you can uh, enhance any of those levels. You can translate is what I would say, translate a product or a service into something that evokes uh, a positive response in any of those things. You know, for instance, it's it's simple on safety uh, or security. I should say Uh, all the products in the hearth industry are made with safety features, right? And those safety features, when they're brought out, they're not just a feature, those help ensure the security of a person's family, their well-being, yeah. their, their home, the number one possession. So, of course, that's a, a, uh, an important thing to bring up. If in fact there's there's a family involved, or a, you know, a really beautiful home, or something like that. So, uh, and those can be done quite quickly and easily with someone. But you you have an idea why you're talking about a certain feature because it it's covering that that base, you know, the, of uh, security or something like that. So anyway, we did, we ended up, uh, I just decided that we'd make it desire and fear as if they're offsetting yes. uh, dynamics in a person's mind. And they are, you could say resistance in any form is based on fear. Yep. So if you understand fear, you can come up close to it, make friends with it and feel comfortable around fear when it's, when it happens in your presence in a showroom, which it does with every salesperson, it won't trigger your fear. Yeah. Ordinarily, if you don't know what you're doing, if somebody is afraid, you'll be afraid. Yep. And if you're afraid, of course, as a salesman, the customer will pick that up and be afraid too, and be wary of anything you say or what, what you're what you're doing. So anyway, we, we we emphasized fear and desire, and how you could work with fear to uh, 
let customers be more and more at ease with it and to see through it or see beyond it and how you can enhance desire and keep building that around a product or a service that you're you're selling. So that that's how that whole thing started, uh, selling in the ultimate showroom. Yeah, it's a powerful concept. The the idea that when your customers are coming in, I, I love how you say it, that, that you're selling them an experience. People buy emotionally. They do. They justify it logically, but people buy emotionally. And there's nothing deceitful about that. There's nothing wrong with that. We want to feel a certain way. And the beauty is our products can make people feel a certain way and they make their lives better. But what we do is we default to BTUs and vertical termination and two inch clearance to combustible and these stupid things that make us sound smart because we're nervous and insecure about actually connecting with our prospects. Well, you know, uh, this is wonderful for me to hear, of course, because, uh, you know, probably 15 years ago, I didn't hear anybody saying that to me. People, <laughs> would, people would come up to me and go like, hey, I read your article. Uh, I like that transfer of ownership thing like that, you know. Yeah, getting those concepts. Well, Bill, it's awesome to hear that. And I want to transition because the, the theme of, of this podcast today is to talk about Tom Pugh, who's someone that you worked very closely with. Now, Tom was a legend in our industry, and I actually only got to see him in person one time. But the ideas that he had have impacted thousands. And, and whether you know it or not, if you're listening to this podcast, you have been shaped by the legacy of Tom Pugh in this industry. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like working with him? I think in one word, it was fun. And, uh, <laughs> uh, challenging, for sure. Uh, but we had a ball. And uh, w- something that I, you know, I think every salesperson, especially wholesale, when you're out, you're doing spending a lot of time on your own. And uh and fortunately, you know, I really enjoy my company. <laughs> but, but, af- but after a while, if you can collaborate with uh, someone who can appreciate what you're uh, with an equal, uh, so- someone who, who uh, can trigger your imagination, your creativity, and uh, inspire you to be better at what you do, and sit around and joke and have fun and have a good time, I mean, that is, to me, Uh, everything. And I've had it in other walks of life earlier in my life. And I I really did miss this. So when Tom called me, uh, it was during a holiday time. I think I was at home in Santa Fe and uh, it was right around Christmas and uh, called me and out of the blue again, I had no idea he was going to ask me. And I I don't even know what his other motivations might've been, but asked me if I'd come and work with him. Uh, And I was doing, having, I, I was currently a sales manager, regional manager there with uh, Regency and working in the Rocky Mountain time zone. Uh, I just felt like I really, really want to make this work. Uh, and so we, uh, uh, my wife and I flew up and, and uh, met with he and Wendy, his wife. And, uh, and you talk about uh, being bedazzled. I mean, uh, uh, being courted. Uh, I've never, never seen the like, uh, but the, the main thing I really wanted, uh, to do was, you know, I, I didn't even know what he did to tell you the honest truth I mean, in terms of uh, day-to-day work. If you're used to being a wholesale sales rep, you know, you're, you're trying to get new dealers, generate yep. new business. Yeah. First thing out of Tom's mouth was, uh, we don't want any new dealers. The factory's working at capacity. And so 
So what exactly are we going to do? (laughs) Maybe I should go back a little bit and just tell you how I met. Uh, Back, I told you I was in a retail store uh, initially in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he came in with Lloyd, his dad, to sell probably heat elator or or maybe it was a security chimney. I I can't remember at the time. But he came in and uh, I I don't remember specifically what he said, but uh, it was highly offensive and and very judgmental. The environment or something. He probably was on the right on the money, but he was just kind of an a hole, basically. Yeah. And uh, and and Lloyd, of course, much smoother, much easier to talk to. And I, I remember asking Lloyd not to bring him back, please. <laughs> so we fast forward now about four or five years, and uh, and I'm now up at the Firebird Distributing Company. So I'm, I'm the manager of the distributing company, and we're a security uh, distributor for New Mexico and Colorado. And uh, Tom has been never coming to see me, but he goes to see the owner of the company and the sales manager, retail sales manager over at the retail store a couple miles away from where I am, and uh, talk them in to wanting to switch chimneys to ICC. But since I wasn't going to go along with it, couldn't do it because the wholesale business was much bigger than that retail store. And he, he started coming over to talk to me and I rebuffed it. And I think it went on another year longer while he continued, which is amazing because he knew I didn't particularly care for him. And he, he kept coming back until uh, I don't even remember what, the, Oh, I think I got, I think I got annoyed with some activity that the other company had performed. So I was uh, looking at the switch. And so we we did we did make the make the switch, and that's when uh, Tom and I started riding together in the car. And that's where I got to know him. I got to know the guy behind the exterior, and uh, there's there's a uh, there's a soft chewy center to that chocolate. You know, yeah. it's just a real softy, full of love and compassion for people, and so much fun. And we would tickle each other. You couldn't believe, I mean, how much laughter. <laughs> I mean, just cracking up over and over. It was so much fun. And this might be a good time for me to uh, uh, share with you a poem that is sort of sad in one sense, because I wrote this on the uh, his 60th birthday for a huge party he held. And he flew in people from all over uh, ICC in Canada and the United States. And it, we, he took over a restaurant and we had this big uh, he had this big soiree. I was just another invited guest, but I wrote a poem for him on his birthday. Yeah, and made him made him stand up with me in front of everybody while I read it to him. Which, of course, is not not fun for Tom. Yeah, I want to hear this. I, I, the title of the poem is "A Life Well Lived," as if it was past tense, and there was no indication that he was going to be passing away. But he did in that year. But it uh, it was just an expression that. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk about the way he went about living his life, which was an example to us all. And it goes like this. Some will say it's all about toys when it comes to separating men from boys. Others point to plaques and citations as reason enough for glorification. Our Thomas ranks high on these measures, no doubt. But they're not the stuff this poem's about. Beneath all the brashness, the toughness, and daring, there's a generous heart. 
full of kindness and caring. Stop denying it, Tom. Just roll with the punches and maybe cut back a bit on those lunches. <laughs> Every moment of life is a morsel to savor. And while you're enjoying it, do us a favor. Stay in our lives as a leader and friend and keep going strong right up to the end. We love and appreciate all that you are. Thanks. Happy birthday. Now where's the bar? <laughs> and uh, that I, I, I just think that mostly the interesting thing I was talking to my wife because I hadn't read the poem since I uh, in, in quite a while since and, and since you talked to me about doing this podcast, I dug this up and uh, uh, and she was there uh, with me. And so many of his friends uh, who've known him knew him much longer than I did came up to me afterwards uh, or or uh, emailed me or whatever called me later to tell me uh, uh, how how reflective the poem was of their feelings for Tom. And I think you had to get to know the man uh, a little bit sometimes for that to uh, become the the uh, the major reality you experienced when you were with him because he could be a little bit uh, tough on the outside. I've heard that from people. I only met Tom once myself, but he was tough on the outside. And at the same time, he did unbelievable things to help move our industry forward. And he did this while he was working really just for specific companies as, as, a, as a sales rep, but he worked to benefit everybody in the industry. Why was he so obsessed with helping other people, even when it didn't benefit him directly? Well, uh, Tom loved and idolized his dad, Lloyd. And uh, this is the legacy of Lloyd Pugh. Uh, Lloyd taught him that uh, anytime you're, you're given great gifts by uh, an industry, it's your responsibility to repay the industry. And uh, that, that, uh, I didn't know that until I came to work there with him, that that was uh, his motivation. But uh, uh, his ties with his family were amazing. I mean, uh, Lloyd was uh, being audited one year by the IRS and a guy actually came over to his office, which was in the house and um, uh, was questioning uh, Lloyd's uh, including a restroom in the home office. And, uh, and Lloyd said, well, it's obvious it's right here off the office. It's, it's the bathroom. Why wouldn't that square footage be counted in to the office space? And the big argument, the guy finally just said, no, he's disallowing that, uh, that space from the, from the home office deduction. And they finished up, finished up the audit. And the guy, before he left, asked if he could use the restroom. And Lloyd said, I'm sorry, we don't, we don't have any public restrooms. <laughs> <laughs> we only have private ones here. I'm sorry. So very, uh, you don't want to take any, any, uh, guff off of anyone really. Yeah. And very competitive. Well, and with that, he, Tom was controversial, right? Yeah. Well, I mentioned my first meeting with him. Yeah. And I think if you look up something like bull in a China shop, I believe there's a picture of Tom in the picture. <laughs> I mean, he could, he could disrupt any situation. And I think sometimes he did that knowingly. And I think many times though, he didn't have any idea he was doing at least early on, especially, yeah. you know, he came out of the uh, district attorney's office in Seattle and he was a, a prosecuting attorney that worked for the DA. And so I think he was used to being very, uh, you know, a 
abrupt and uh, clear cut about his arguments about things. And it was never a negotiation. Uh, it was more like a courtroom drama. Yeah. So uh, his early sales uh, presentations were a little, little bit, probably sounded a little bit more like uh, you were on trial more than you were uh, a customer. <laughs> well, I think as, as I think about Tom, he had a really serious vision. I mean, he basically invented the clean face fireplace and he did it at a time when no one in our industry was moving that direction. And I think what happens a lot is there's many companies in our industry that are driving out of the rear view mirror. They want to come out with a new feature. So they do some research to see, Hey, what other competitors are doing this? Does it seem like it's a, it's catching on with customers. And so, Hey, we're going to add it too. And that's their marketing strategy for the year. And, R&D. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and to me, there's a Henry Ford quote I want to share that I think Tom really understood. So Henry Ford said, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. How do you think Tom was able to stick with the vision that he knew was right in the midst of the industry, not believing it? Well, on one of those uh, rides uh, with me when we were, you know, uh, selling an ICC chimney together in Colorado. Uh, Tom turns to me in the car, you know, I'm driving. He goes, uh, I just want to get your opinion on this, Bill. What, what do you think of uh, a fireplace with a great big fire, lots and lots of BTUs, um, and, a, uh, and then direct vent it and try to exhaust as much of the heat out as you can uh, of the back? <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of that? And uh, I and I remember saying I, I I think that's could be the stupidest thing I've ever heard, <laughs> and, and uh, that is why of course I tell people that's why I ended up working for the man because I couldn't see it and Tom had that ability to see around the corner yeah uh, to look into the future and, and see uh, and you know I think that's such a specific rare kind of ability for people to. Uh, to have and you can't even force it but if you can but if you do see something up around the bend so to speak uh and like you say uh refuse to let go of the idea he pitched that uh, concept to a lot more than pacific energy you ended up making yeah uh, but uh so he went through several very large manufacturers who probably responded like i did who felt like there's no way and you know the industry we grew up in is one that sells efficiency and sells uh, price. Uh, yep. And um, this product had neither one of those. I mean, it was going to be the most expensive fireplace with the biggest fire and uh, the. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And as always, I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. Well, everybody who's listening now, I am so excited for this because this episode is the turning point of season four. And the way that we structured this season of the podcast was going to be that the first half would have interviews with guests, just like we normally do. 
But the second half of this season is actually going to turn, and we're going to do a series of nine episodes with Grant Falco and myself, where we outline the eight departments of a hearth business and then have one final episode for questions and answers. So I'm excited for today because this is the last episode of this season where we have a traditional guest. And this is a topic I've thought about for a long time, and I wanted it to be something special. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So this episode is all about the legacy of Tom Pugh. Now, if that's not a name that's familiar to you, shame on you, because Tom Pugh is someone that changed the course of our industry, and I guarantee that you have been impacted by his legacy, whether you know it or not. Now, Tom Pugh's the person who basically invented the clean face fireplace. He had this idea back in the day for a fireplace with a monster flame that was purposely inefficient and put no heat off into the room. And everybody thought he was crazy, but he kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and eventually that turned into what's now known today as town and country fireplaces, and ultimately the clean face design that changed everything. And Tom was someone that had a deep passion for our industry itself. He came out with a document a number of years ago, probably going 15 years back or more, called The Blueprint for Success. And this was something that would walk dealers step-by-step through how to run a successful hearth business. And as I've been traveling around, I've actually talked with business owners that are still using the blueprint for success today, and they're making great money and they have a successful business because of the framework that it laid out. Now, another thing that Tom did as well was institute the Government Affairs Academy. He believed that our industry needed to have a training ground to teach people how to deal with government both locally and nationally. And this is something you've heard me talk about before, going back to season one of the podcast, that I believe this Government Affairs Academy, it is the leadership training program for our industry. And it's a life-changing event that opens up your eyes to the scale at which our industry association, the HPBA, deals with. And it's really thanks to Tom that this academy was instituted. Now, sadly, Tom passed away in 2012, and I actually only met him once. I went to one of his sales seminars and was just blown away a number of years ago. And I feel like with where our industry is now, it would just be very fitting to talk about the legacy of this man who was really able to see further down the road than everybody else. And in thinking about the best way to capture this, I wanted to reach out to Bill Lentz. Bill Lentz worked with Tom for years, and he had perspective into Tom's life that few others did. And I was excited to talk to Bill about this, and and actually, just laying my cards on the table, we're going to do a follow-up conversation with Bill, because I'm not joking, he is one of the best sales minds out there for our industry. He's like the Phil Jackson of fireplaces. You're going to know what I mean as we get into this conversation, but his approach to sales is out of this world. And so in this conversation, we're going to talk about the legacy of Tom Pugh, but we are going to do a future episode where we dive deep into the art of sales. So as you listen to this conversation, what I want you to be thinking about is this. Tom was someone who wasn't afraid to take a risk. He saw what had to be done, and he did it. Even in the face of opposition, even when people thought he was crazy, he knew it was important, and he went after it. 
I'd imagine for everyone listening now that's in the midst of the COVID disruption, those words mean something. And my hope is that this conversation gives you the confidence and the inspiration to do what needs to be done as you forge a new path forward. So with that in mind, we're going to jump into the conversation. And as always, we'll circle back at the end and talk about it. Joining me from Brookings, Oregon is Bill Lentz. Now, Bill's someone that's worked for years in our industry. He was a sales manager at FPI. He worked with Regency, ICC, and most importantly, I want to talk to him about when he worked at Lloyd F. Pugh and Associates. Bill, how are you doing today? Doing great. I'm really looking forward to uh, talking about our, our mutual friend, Tom. Yeah, I'm excited for this. And and I know that I'm pulling you out of retirement for this interview. And so I appreciate you being here. You know, funny thing, people you say retirement and people, everyone has their own individual idea of what that is. It really just is a word that, sa- that says something has changed and I'm no longer working for money anymore. Uh, but uh, uh, you're not pulling me out of anything. Uh, this is a, a real treat for me. You know, I know this is going to be an interview where we're going to talk about your friend Tom Pugh. But just to give people a, a sneak peek, I, I want to talk about your concept of selling in the ultimate showroom because I've taken a lot of your courses over the years and this is what I always took away was just this concept of selling in the ultimate showroom. And can you just talk a little bit about why is that so important for our industry to realize? And maybe we'll have to have another episode down the road where we dive deep into this. Sure. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story how that came about. Tom and I were on a trip, a buying trip to uh, China. He, he used to do that like once every other year or something like that before I ever came along, I think. Uh, and he was a real student of the game. Anyway, and he, and he had an unquenchable thirst, really, uh, for sales. On that trip, he heard back from Richard Wright, who unbeknownst to me, he had talked to about me writing a series of articles on sales. And he said, okay, Richard, uh, go with this. He just needs like uh, four t- or five titles from you of articles. And, you know, again, out of the blue. So I remember on an airplane napkin writing down, uh, closing the sale and uh, selling in the ultimate showroom. That, that idea came about, because, again, because I think I saw that the folks around me were focusing a little bit on the wrong thing that they're making their job harder by focusing on trying to make the physical uh, space and the physical products sell and, and not, not realizing that the physical products and the space they're, they're displayed in are there to evoke uh, an emotion, a feeling in the customer. They're not buying products they're buying experiences from you. Yeah. And uh, so if you're going to tap in to what it is they're doing and what your role is in encouraging that, uh, then you better get to know what goes on inside your customer's mind. And so, you know, of course, the little trick is that uh, when you ask a retailer, where do you make most of your sales? You know, the smart guy will say, well, uh, while we do home visits and it's much easier to close a sale at the home. And you go like, okay, why do you think that is? You know, And uh, I don't know. Uh, you think maybe perhaps it has something to do with the customer's state of mind when they're sitting in their home. <laughs> is that possible? Uh, anyway, uh, 
literally, so, literally this morning, I had yes. a call with a dealer on the East Coast, and I said, "You have to start selling in the home. You have to. <laughs> it is yeah. a gold mine." Well, it's just like selling to a guy. Uh, you, you know, you need to have a burning display in your showroom, and they go, "Ah, eh, you know, they're, they're all lined up here. That's nice." Said, yeah, if you were really about two or three times better than you are or more skillful, I should say, not better. You're wonderful. But if you were more skillful in sales, okay. But what do you think lighting that thing off does? I mean, it, it evokes an experience for a person. So they get it. It, it isn't, again, the metal or the thickness of glass. Or, uh, it, it, but they get to experience it directly. Okay, so that's so you're trying to give people these direct experiences, immersive experiences, as they say these days. So anyway... Uh, that's how that that came about. And in order to go into the mind, we sort of used some amateur psychology. You know, I, I minored in that and stuff like that. But uh, just uh, understanding people's motivations, the hierarchy of needs. We use Maslow's yeah. uh, hierarchy of needs because it was a nice, easy sort of a scheme that you could understand security being the basic need people are trying to satisfy up into self-actualization. Self-actualization, yeah. And you're selling at all these different levels, and you can, right? You can you can uh, enhance any of those levels. You can translate, is what I would say, translate a product or a service into something that evokes uh, a positive response in any of those things. You know, for instance, it's, it's simple on safety uh, or security, I should say. Uh, all the products in the hearth industry are made with safety features, right? And those safety features, when they're brought out, they're not just a feature. Those help ensure the security of a person's family, their well-being, yeah. their, their home, the number one possession. So, of course, that's a, a, uh, an important thing to bring up. If in fact there's there's a family involved, or a, you know, a really beautiful home, or something like that. So, uh, and those can be done quite quickly and easily with someone. But you you have an idea why you're talking about a certain feature because it it's covering that that base, you know, the, of uh, security or something like that. So anyway, we did, we ended up, uh, I just decided that we'd make it desire and fear as if they're offsetting yes. uh, dynamics in a person's mind. And they are, you could say resistance in any form is based on fear. Yep. So if you understand fear, you can come up close to it, make friends with it and feel comfortable around fear when it's, when it happens in your presence in a showroom, which it does with every salesperson, it won't trigger your fear. Yeah. Ordinarily, if you don't know what you're doing, if somebody's afraid, you'll be afraid. Yep. And if you're afraid, of course, as a salesman, a customer will pick that up and be afraid too, and be wary of anything you say or what, what you're what you're doing. So anyway, we, we we emphasized fear and desire, and how you could work with fear to uh, let customers be more and more at ease with it, and to see through it or see beyond it, and how you can enhance desire. And keep building that around a product or a service that you're you're selling. So that that's how that whole thing started, uh, selling in the ultimate showroom. Yeah, it's a powerful concept. the The idea that when your customers are coming in, I love how you say it that that you're selling them an experience. People buy emotionally. They do. They justify it logically, but people buy emotionally. And there's nothing deceitful about that. There's nothing wrong with that. We want to feel a certain way. And the beauty is our products can make people feel a certain way and they make their lives better. But 
what we do is we default to BTUs and vertical termination and two-inch clearance to combustible and these stupid things that make us sound smart because we're nervous and insecure about actually connecting with our prospects. Well, you know, uh, this is wonderful for me to hear, of course, because, you know, probably 15 years ago, I didn't hear anybody saying that to me. People would would come up to me and go like, hey, I read your article. Uh, I like that transfer of ownership thing like that, you know. Yeah, getting those concepts. Well, Bill, it's awesome to hear that. And I want to transition because the, the theme of, of this podcast today is to talk about Tom Pugh, who's someone that you worked very closely with. Now, Tom was a legend in our industry, and I actually only got to see him in person one time. But the ideas that he had have impacted thousands. And And whether you know it or not, if you're listening to this podcast, you have been shaped by the legacy of Tom Pugh in this industry. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like working with him? I think in one word, it was fun. And, uh, <laughs> uh, challenging, for sure. Uh, but we had a ball. And uh, w- something that I, you know, I think every salesperson, especially wholesale, when you're out, you're doing spending a lot of time on your own. And uh and fortunately, you know, I really enjoy my company. <laughs> but, but, af- but after a while, if you can collaborate with uh, someone who can appreciate what you're uh, with an equal, uh, so- someone who, who uh, can trigger your imagination, your creativity, and uh, inspire you to be better at what you do, and sit around and joke and have fun and have a good time, I mean, that is, to me, uh, everything. And I've had it in other walks of life earlier in my life. And I, I really did miss this. So when Tom called me, uh, it was during a holiday time. I think I was at home in Santa Fe and, uh, it was right around Christmas and, uh, called me and out of the blue again, I had no idea he was going to ask me. And I, I don't even know what his other motivations might've been, but asked me if I'd come and work with him. Uh, and I was doing having, I, I was currently, a sales manager, regional manager there with uh, Regency and working in the Rocky Mountain time zone. Uh, I just felt like I really, really want to make this work. Uh, and so we, uh, uh, my wife and I flew up and, and uh, met with he and Wendy, his wife. And, uh, and you talk about uh, being bedazzled. I mean, uh, uh, being courted. Uh, I've never, never seen the like, uh, but the, the main thing I really wanted, uh, to do was, you know, I, I didn't even know what he did to tell you the honest truth I mean, in terms of uh, day-to-day work. If you're used to being a wholesale sales rep, you know, you're, you're trying to get new dealers, generate yep. new business. Yeah. First thing out of Tom's mouth was, uh, we don't want any new dealers. The factory's working at capacity. And so, so what exactly are we going to do? Maybe I should go back a little bit and just tell you how I met. Uh, Back, I told you I was in a retail store uh, initially in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he came in with Lloyd, his dad, to sell probably heat elator or or maybe it was a security chimney. I I can't remember at the time. But he came in and uh, I I, I don't remember specifically what he said, but uh, it was highly offensive. And, uh, and, and very judgmental, yeah. the environment or something. He probably was on the right on the money, but he was just, 
kind of an a-hole basically. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Lloyd, of course, much smoother, much easier to talk to. And I, I remember asking Lloyd not to bring him back, please. <laughs> so we fast forward now about four or five years. And, uh, and I'm now up at the Firebird Distributing Company. So I'm, I'm the manager of the distributing company, and we're a security uh, distributor for New Mexico and Colorado. And uh, Tom has been never coming to see me, but he goes to see the owner of the company and the sales manager, retail sales manager over at the retail store a couple miles away from where I am and uh, talk them in to wanting to switch chimneys to ICC. But since I wasn't going to go along with it, couldn't do it because the wholesale business was much bigger than that retail store. And he, he started coming over to talk to me and I rebuffed it. And I think it went on another year longer while he continued, which is amazing because he knew I didn't particularly care for him. And he, he kept coming back until uh, I don't even remember what, the, Oh, I think I got, I think I got annoyed with some activity that the other company had performed. So I was uh, looking at the switch. And so we we did we did make the make the switch, and that's when uh, Tom and I started riding together in the car. And that's where I got to know him. I got to know the guy behind the exterior, and uh, there's there's a uh, there's a soft chewy center to that chocolate. You know, yeah. it's just a real softy, full of love and compassion for people, and so much fun. And we would tickle each other. You couldn't believe, I mean, how much laughter. <laughs> I mean, just cracking up over and over. It was so much fun. And this might be a good time for me to uh, uh, share with you a poem that is sort of sad in one sense, because I wrote this on the, uh, his 60th birthday for a huge party he held. And he flew in people from all over uh, ICC in Canada and the United States. And it, we, he took over a restaurant and we had this big uh, he had this big soiree. I was just another invited guest, but I wrote a poem for him on his birthday. Yeah, and made him made him stand up with me in front of everybody while I read it to him. Which, of course, is not not fun for Tom. Yeah, I want to hear this. I, I, the title of the poem is "A Life Well Lived," as if it was past tense, and there was no indication that he was going to be passing away. But he did in that year. But it uh, it was just an expression that. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk about the way he went about living his life, which was an example to us all. And it goes like this. Some will say it's all about toys when it comes to separating men from boys. Others point to plaques and citations as reason enough for glorification. Our Thomas ranks high on these measures, no doubt. But they're not the stuff this poem's about. Beneath all the brashness, the toughness, and daring, there's a generous heart full of kindness and caring. Stop denying it, Tom. Just roll with the punches and maybe cut back a bit on those lunches. <laughs> Every moment of life is a morsel to savor, and while you're enjoying it, do us a favor. Stay in our lives as a leader and friend and keep going strong right up to the end. We love and appreciate all that you are. Thanks. Happy birthday. Now, where's the bar? <laughs> and uh, that I, I, I just think that mostly it, it, the interesting thing I was talking to my wife because I hadn't read the poem since I 
in, in quite a while since, and, and since you talked to me about doing this podcast, I dug this up and, uh, uh, and she was there uh, with me. And so many of his friends uh, who've known him, knew him much longer than I did, came up to me afterwards uh, or, or uh, emailed me or whatever, called me later to tell me uh, uh, how, how reflective the poem was of their feelings for Tom. And I think you had to get to know the man uh, a little bit sometimes for that to uh, become the, the, uh, the major reality you experienced when you were with him, because he could be a little bit uh, tough on the outside. I've heard that from people. I only met Tom once myself, but he was tough on the outside. And at the same time, he did unbelievable things to help move our industry forward. And he did this while he was working really just for specific companies as a sales rep, but he worked to benefit everybody in the industry. Why was he so obsessed with helping other people, even when it didn't benefit him directly? Well, uh, Tom loved and idolized his dad, Lloyd. And uh, this is the legacy of Lloyd Pugh. Uh, Lloyd taught him that uh, anytime you're you're given great gifts by uh, an industry, it's your responsibility to repay the industry. And uh, that that uh, I didn't know that until I came to work there with him, that that was uh, his motivation. But uh, uh, his ties with his family were amazing. I mean... Uh, Lloyd was uh, being audited one year by the IRS and a guy actually came over to his office, which was in the house and um, uh, was questioning uh, Lloyd's uh, including a restroom in the home office. And, uh, and Lloyd said, well, it's obvious it's right here off the office. It's, it's the bathroom. Why wouldn't that square footage be counted in to the office space? And the big argument, the guy finally just said, no, he's disallowing that, uh, that space from the, from the home office deduction. And they finished up, finished up the audit. And the guy, before he left, asked if he could use the restroom. And Lloyd said, I'm sorry, we don't, we don't have any public restrooms. <laughs> <laughs> we only have private ones here. I'm sorry. So very, uh, you don't want to take any, any, uh, guff off of anyone really. Uh, yeah. And very competitive. Well, and with that, he, Tom was controversial, right? Yeah. Well, I mentioned my first meeting with him. Yeah. And I think if you look up something like bull in a China shop, I believe there's a picture of Tom in the picture. <laughs> I mean, he could, he could disrupt any situation. And I think sometimes he did that knowingly. And I think many times though, he didn't have any idea he was doing at least early on, especially, yeah. you know, he came out of the uh, district attorney's office in Seattle and he was a, a prosecuting attorney that worked for the DA. And so I think he was used to being very, uh, you know, abrupt and uh, clear cut about his arguments about things. And it was never a negotiation. Uh, it was more like a courtroom drama. Yeah. So uh, his early sales uh, presentations were a little, little bit, probably sounded a little bit more like uh, you were on trial more than you were uh, a customer. <laughs> well, I think as, as I think about Tom, he had really serious vision. I mean, he basically invented the clean face fireplace and he did it at a time when no one in our industry was moving that direction. And I think what happens a lot is 
is there's many companies in our industry that are driving out of the rear view mirror. They want to come out with a new feature, so they do some research to see, hey, what other competitors are doing this? Does it seem like it's a it's catching on with customers? And so, hey, we're going to add it too. And that's their marketing strategy for the year. And R&D. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and to me, there's a Henry Ford quote I want to share that I think Tom really understood. So Henry Ford said, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. How do you think Tom was able to stick with the vision that he knew was right in the midst of the industry, not believing it? Well, on one of those uh, rides uh, with me when we were, you know, uh, selling an ICC chimney together in Colorado, uh, Tom turns to me in the car, you know, I'm driving. He goes, uh, I just want to get your opinion on this, Bill. What, what do you think of uh, a fireplace with a great big fire, lots and lots of BTUs, um, and a uh, and then direct vent it and try to exhaust as much of the heat out as you can uh, of the back. <laughs> what do you what do you think of that? And uh, I and I remember saying I, I I think that's could be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and and uh, that is why, of course, I tell people that's why I ended up working for the man because I couldn't see it. And Tom had that ability to see around the corner, yeah, uh, to look into the future and, and see. Uh, and, you know, I think that's such a specific, rare kind of ability for people to, uh, to have, and you can't even force it, but if you can, but if you do see something up around the bend, so to speak, uh, and like you say, uh, refused to let go of the idea. He pitched that uh, concept to a lot more than Pacific Energy you ended up making. Uh, yeah. But uh, so he went through several very large manufacturers who probably responded like I did. We felt like there's no way. And, you know, the industry we grew up in is one that sells efficiency and sells uh, price. Uh, yep. And um, this product had neither one of those. I mean, it was going to be the most expensive fireplace with the biggest fire and uh, the the lowest efficiency possible because otherwise that big fire would cook anybody out of it. And it still does anyway. Yeah. Even, at, even at a low efficiency rating, you can't turn it on more than an hour. We'll get back to our interview with Bill Lentz in just one minute. Hey, if you've been listening to the podcast this season, you know that we have been hammering hard the idea that customers have two questions when they go to your website. Question number one is which options are going to work in my house? And question number two is how much is it going to cost? The problem is that most websites in our industry don't answer either of these questions for our customers. Instead, they blast them with all kinds of insider information by arranging fireplaces and categories that make no sense to a consumer. Insert, zero clearance, direct vent, and pushing all kinds of our language down their throat. The way that I would think about this would be, imagine that you're going to go buy a dishwasher. And you don't buy dishwashers very often, so you pull up a manufacturer's website. But all the dishwashers look the same, and you have no idea which ones will actually work in your space. Not only that, but there's no pricing available. If you're on a website needing a dishwasher, and it doesn't tell you which ones will work for you, and there's no pricing, are you going to stick around? The answer is obviously no, and this happens to companies in our industry all the time. 
Well, if you want to take control of your website, answer those questions for your customers, generate leads, and start making more sales, you need to go to wifire.com. Wi-Fi is a sales system that connects with your customer to show them the options that will work for them and provide instant estimate ranges that are customized for their project. Not only that, it's got all kinds of automated email marketing follow-up to nurture the customer to the point of a sale and connect them with your business when they're ready to buy. If you want to give customers the digital experience they're looking for, then you need to go to wifire.com. That's W-H-Y-F-I-R-E.com. Well, there's such an advantage there compared to driving with your rearview mirror. You know, when you're when you're basing your R and D off of what the rest of the industry's done, you're you've just commoditized yourself, and price becomes the lowest common denominator. What Tom did is he went after a blue ocean where there was nothing yet, and yeah, the space is crowded now. And as you get those ideas, competition comes, but there is such a first mover's advantage that you have. It's it's, it's uncomparable. Well, when you when you take my bias that I I described to you. And you multiply that by, let's say, 85% of the industry. I'm sure there are other people that's caught on to the idea right away. Some really sharp cookies or smart cookies, as Tom would say. Uh, just think of the amount of work and effort and uh, resolve that is behind a man who not only got this product produced, but now has to go out and change the minds of an industry yeah. and do it pretty much single-handedly. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, pretty amazing, pretty amazing. And then we, and we loved, I think what he, what, one of the things that he liked, uh, about having me around to, uh, support him was we could come up with all kinds of now, now that we understood the process rationale for, uh, why this would work and why it's based on sound selling principles. And, uh, it's not just some kind of a fluke thing. And, and as you, you say, uh, it's now, you know, it's, it's just a, almost commonplace in the industry. I mean, it, it's oh, it is. something every company has to produce and make. I don't know if they all understand the same concept, but uh, it you know uh, anyway, uh, the idea in all its many forms, you could say, is a legacy to Tom. Oh, it is, and and he took that that tenacity that he had for this new product, and also applied it at, at government affairs. I mean, at the organization of our industry. Can you talk about that? Well, I, it's just like uh, you and I talk about uh, sales and the need for uh, some depth of understanding for people to help them really move on and to progress in sales. I think he saw that um, the ability to uh, promote or to persuade people uh, on a larger sort of media type audience uh, just wasn't uh, very present in the industry. There weren't many people who understood that or, or knew how to do it. And most of us were afraid to do it or uh, timid and knew we would screw it up and all that. So knowing that, I think he, I think the article to start to kick it off was all politics are local. He wrote that in Hartman yeah. home. And, um, uh, and then he went, then he went around and talked about it quite a bit. Uh, and then got the idea of the, uh, of a training facility like sales training only uh media training and uh congressional working with your representatives and that sort of thing uh and again uh the amount of energy and persuasiveness necessary to set up something like that's kind of an expensive proposition and not that many people can go through it at one time 
But uh, he got that through. And uh, I think if you talk to the graduates of the, uh, the Tom Pugh Academy, uh, you know, I think they'll tell you to a person that uh, it was extremely valuable. These oh, it's life changing. It's life changing. I mean, I, I went did, to. Did it. you take the course? I did. Yeah, I took it. I took it last July, and oh, wow. and and it was life changing. We've we've had Rachel Feinstein on the podcast to talk about it, and the the media training, being able to clearly think through what it is you're trying to communicate, not being thrown off track, understanding how government works. It's, it's incredible. And it's amazing that he was the architect of that. And now you get to see how your local politicians use those concepts when they talk to the media. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. You, you talked about what he learned from his dad, that, that Lloyd talked to Tom about paying back the industry that gave him so much. And, and I, I was actually looking through, when Tom passed away, there were multiple summaries of his life that were written and, and put out in Hearth and Home magazine. And and it's clear that while he was paying back the industry that had given him so much, the industry was trying to pay him homage as well. And I wanted to see if I could read these summaries and have you just respond or, or comment on them. Sure. Okay. So this first one is from Richard Wright with Hearth and Home magazine. He says, the word workaholic seems pathetically weak in reference to Tom. He thrived on work, exulted in it, and was damn good at it. No matter what task he was undertaking, listening to Tom engage on an issue or plan some campaign was like watching a burst of energy. Yeah. Uh, it's true. Uh, you know, a poignant comment that uh, uh, Wendy made to me as Wendy, his, uh, uh, his wife, while he was still alive was that uh, she had come to accept that uh, um, she was not his primary relationship and that work was. Uh, and I know that she tried to make him create more balance in his life or to get him to, or, or seduce him into more balance. And uh, I think he just is one of those Folks, and I don't know, you know, why we get compulsive about things. But uh, I was thinking about this, uh, the, these times of the uh, where we're all sort of holed up here with the virus and uh, uh, where we're sheltering in place. Uh, I don't know that he could have done this. Uh, yeah. You know, he would he was he would be flying out on a Saturday so he could get there on a Sunday to meet with a customer on Monday morning, first thing in the morning. Uh, Constantly, he'd go on vacation and uh, spend all the time, except when when they were going out for a specific activity, on his computer, uh, working or communicating with customers. Um, you know, I couldn't take a plane ride with him. We had many, many, many plane rides together. And by the way, you ought to share a seat with Tom sometime. And I was no slim Jim myself. <laughs> we would be packed in there. And he would want to talk, you know, nonstop about business. Uh, we'd take out the balance sheet for the company and try to go expenditures. And, you know, I, I'd rather do the crossword in the magazine. That's so and funny. Just, I, I got a friend named Grant Falco, and and we're the same way when, when we I go know, on the plane. Wasn't. 
Yeah, when when we were on a plane, he was giving me such a hard time because you know we had a we had a flight to Minneapolis last year together. We had about five hours on the plane. The second that we took off, we whipped out the notebook and we were still flying when the plane touched down. And it ultimately turned into uh, this thing called the FireTime Network that we launched about two months ago. But it's, I I love working on planes; it's amazing. There you go. Well, so, uh, sorry, and uh, on the same uh, subject, we we uh, had a little difference of opinion on this. It wasn't a big deal, but, uh, you know, we always were encouraging Tom to, to, uh, get more balance in his life and take, you know, things like his own personal health and well Uh, and he, he struggled with that. He tried, he hired a personal, I know he hired a personal consultant. He got some equipment put into his home. I mean, he had a, uh, what do you call him? A personal trainer. Yeah. And, uh, so he tried to exercise and, uh, you know, at one point he ended up with a stomach bypass trying to lose weight and, you know, he even joked about it, but he, you know, I'm sure it concerned him uh, tremendously that every time he goes see his doctor, he was told he was going to uh, have a lot of trouble if he didn't lose weight. So he was confronted with this all the time. It, it just was something that uh, he couldn't conquer. That was one of the, that was the competition that he couldn't beat for some reason uh, and uh, in my role of working with Tom over the years, uh, a lot of our really good customers and people who were dear friends of his would come and ask me if there was, you know, anything that could be done to help Tom, uh, stuff like that. Everyone was concerned. And so it was sort of like shocking at one on one level and no surprise when his body did just give out. Yeah, and, uh, that's, That was, you know, a tough thing. So workaholic isn't a good thing to me. I, you know, I, I, uh, I appreciate a good work ethic and I'm, I'm happy when somebody is, has a strong work ethic and they care about the outcomes, uh, and they're not going to relax, uh, until they get their job done, that kind of thing. But, uh, anyway, it was, uh, it was tough. And I know that, yeah. uh, one of the, one of the lessons I got at Carnegie was I was talking to the, the guy who started, I think the third largest grossing Carnegie uh, organization in the country. Uh, he joined us for one of our sales meetings and I, I just asked him if there was anything he would have done differently looking back. And uh, his comment stayed with me all these years. He just said, well, uh, my wife and I uh, like to walk now together. And I just, when I look back, I wish I had walked more. Mm. And I thought, you know, it's just such a hard lesson to get. I think yeah. sometimes that, that that you're not falling behind if you take care of yourself and your relationships. Anyway. Yeah. So. Bill, that's really good. I want to read you one here that was from Ray Bonner with ICC. Yeah. Great he guy. said, he was a fierce competitor. Now, there's an understatement. We had many, many successful and fun, well, maybe not for the other guys, advertising and promotional campaigns over the years. Working on promotions with Tom often boiled down to a negotiation about just how far we could or should go. He was a hard man to hold back. You know, uh, oh yeah, we've talked a lot about his competitive uh, nature. And uh, something uh, this brings up for me that most people wouldn't know, I think his brother Tom, who's there in the Seattle area, has his own business, was telling me that, uh, I think it was him, told me that uh, Tom was an outstanding athlete when he was a younger man. Because I always knew him basically in the body he had, you know, and uh, he didn't, he wasn't all that athletic. I know he 
he'd like to play golf about once a year and I'd like to play like once a day. Yeah. But uh, in, in true Tom Pugh style, he went down to Hawaii, he went down to Hawaii with uh, uh, some customers and uh, his wife and, uh, played around a golf and uh, got a hole in one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I understand it wasn't pretty, but it went in the hole. So who cares? Wow. Okay. I want to read you one more here. This is from Jack Goldman. A reminiscence would not be complete without mentioning another side of Tom. He was no stranger to controversy. In fact, Tom often sought it out. For one thing, it was his way of getting people's attention on issues that were not, in his opinion, being adequately faced. It was also due to his legal training in which the truth comes out after hearing advocates for each side do battle with their ideas. Well, I think that, again, is uh, something that's so rare in my experience. Trying to think of, you know, if if it's just a small handful of people who will have that willingness when uh, there's a lot at stake to go in and uh, confront a situation uh, because it's the right thing to do, not because you're going to get like he doesn't get any extra money for doing that, or uh, uh, he certainly doesn't improve his popularity. It's not a political thing. It's just, he's just willing to go and do the right thing. Uh, again, such a, such a rare uh, quality in a human being. Yeah, I think there's something to that too. Of I think when ideas do battle with each other, the, the truth or the ultimate best idea comes out. You know, in, in my background, um, I'm an athlete, uh, I'm a musician, and, and I think back to, uh, to writing a song. And when you, when you bring a song to a band, it's a bloodbath. There's nothing held back. If, if an idea sucks, you're told that it sucks. And you have two choices. You can either get your ego wrapped up in it and get your feelings hurt and, uh, and take your ball and go home, or you can humble yourself and think, yeah, like this does kind of suck. But you know what? Part of it is good. And we can take that part and, and combine it. And I think, I think that through that testing, that's, that's where the beauty is. And, and I, I really appreciate Jack Goldman saying that because I think that Sometimes people can be given a bad rap as being too controversial, too provocative, too challenging when the heart behind it is we want the best. And the only way to get the best is to forge it through the fires of conflict. Well, and Jack would certainly know because I, I, I'm sure he spent time on the other end of Tom uh, when he wanted something uh, with uh, HPBA to change. So, yeah. Uh, he, he would be the expert on that. Bill, can you talk about Tom's blueprint for success? Raise your prices 10% and it'll drift down to your bottom line. <laughs> it's so funny, uh, you know, because, um, again, a, a great opus and such an industry, uh, uh, you know, game changer, uh, to, to give examples and, and give dollars and cents figures of expenses and sales and break it down for people. And so you could sort of finally rate yourself how where you stood with respect to your fellow dealers. Uh, it's totally unique. Uh, and, well, I, I don't even know how you can write something that long. Yeah. And to me, I, I just, I thought it was wonderful. I've read it a couple of times. I think the MBA course that he teaches in there, I don't know how easy that is to absorb, but I just know how many people come away from that. I mean, to the person feeling like 
this is the greatest thing. Can you please update it now? Oh, yeah. what, whatever we are, 15 years later and stuff like that. Uh, what a gift. Uh, that's all I can say. And, and uh, when people ask me, can you give me the short version of that? I say, yes, I think if you, you stop believing that price is the only thing that's working here to sell your goods. And if you stop discounting and go ahead and just bump everything up 10% right now and sell it at that price, you'll find that you won't lose that in volume as you might think you would. You'll find that your bottom line improves. So that's the short course. Oh, that's so good. And I have, I have two funny stories about that. I'll talk about the price one first. So a um, number of no. years ago, number of years ago, I'm working for a retailer and we negotiated a special net price from a manufacturer on a gas insert. We called it our manager's special unit vent pipe and installation 2198. And we made a good margin on that, which is crazy. 2198 unit vent pipe and install. And, and, and that was it. The problem was back when I was in retail, it was a thousand dollars. Oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's so how old I am. The yeah. problem was our next insert up was about four grand. So if you don't want the manager special, this customer's got to fork out an additional $2,000 for something that's very similar. Yeah. It destroyed the value of our, of our other products. So we made a decision where we went away from the manager special. We took that same unit. I don't even know if we changed the special net. We're still buying it at the screaming price. But we raised the price of it to over $4,200, and we sold just as many. There you go. So I know. Isn't it remarkable? And, uh, yeah, I just know so many people, unfortunately, friends of mine over the years that uh, went out of business because they just didn't believe that and their mind told them something else. Yeah. You know, so one of the best compliments I've ever received was actually at this year's trade shows in New Orleans. And I was having drinks with a dealer from Arizona and we were just talking about the industry and he was a big fan of the podcast. And he was just saying, Hey, thank you for doing this podcast. He said, ever since Tom Pugh, there's been nothing like this. And he goes, you know, the blueprint for success is how I built my business. I bought my own property. I pay myself rent and I followed the blueprint for success and it's not rocket science. You can do it. You can make good money. And he thanked me for the podcast and, and that was great. But, but you know, this is, this is 10, 15 years later and the blueprint for success is still paying off. And I, this reminds me, I want to compliment you too, because, uh, when you introduced yourself and told me what you were doing, uh, I mentioned to you that when Tom and I were working together, I actually wanted him to do a podcast and a regular thing like this for people to hear. And we were just both too technically inept to make <laughs> it happen. I mean, it just, you know, what, what might be easy to you, like falling off a log is, is insurmountable uh, to people who just don't understand the technology. So uh, uh, I, I want to just really congratulate you as well. I think it's a gift, such a gift. And when it comes to giving back to the industry, I think you see that not only do you get the satisfaction of being a benefit to others, but it also, it's, you can't do it selfishly, but it still derives back to you uh, in terms of dollars and cents. I mean, it makes, it gives yeah. you credibility. It gives, it enhances your relationships. It makes selling simpler. Uh, you have an immediate uh, introduction to people. They already know who you are and uh, they've heard you before and they already, uh, you've won half the trust battle, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, kudos to you too. I think it's remarkable and, and uh, I couldn't be happier than to, to uh, do my part. Oh, thanks, Bill. You know, it's funny you say that. I've talked a lot with Grant Falco about that. And and we really believe that giving away your knowledge and power 
to other people, it, it is a superpower. It is. It, it helps other people, but I'm telling you, like, you learn it better yourself. You gain credibility. You gain authority. You gain relationships. It actually shows power. People that are so tight-fisted, they're weak. They're weak. They're afraid. And 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 giving your power away, it's how you win. Amen, brother. I want to ask you in closing. So you and Tom worked together for a long time. You knew him way better than most people do. What's the legacy of Tom that our industry should understand and embody? Well, I, I had to think quite a bit about this because uh, you had told me that you were going to ask me about his legacy. And, uh, you know, when I wrote down some things uh, I thought might be qualities that were his legacy. But uh, it occurred to me that uh, Tom's real legacy are the really literally hundreds of people that he touched personally that are currently you know, in our industry or now retired or yeah. their children are in our industry now. And uh, I can't think of a greater legacy than, yeah. uh, than the, the people that uh, uh, were a part of his life and uh, that were touched by him and uh, whether in, in his professional role or, or just, there's so many people who just met him at a barbecue and uh, had a side conversation and, and, uh, uh, were uh, telling me that uh, it was like they were the most important person he'd ever talked to or something. They just felt like he, he gave them his full attention, full attention and it didn't have to do anything with, with business at all. But uh, so uh, yeah, I think that's his, uh, his legacy and it will survive all of us. Yeah. Well, Bill, this has been terrific and, and I'm serious. I want to have you back on. I want to talk about the art of sales in detail, but I really appreciate you giving us some insight into just the legend of Tom Pugh. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Bill Lentz. I, I thought it was incredible just sitting there getting to listen to a legend in the fireplace industry talk about his relationship with Tom Pugh. You know, it's really important, especially if you're younger in this industry, to pay respects to those who have gone before us. And what I thought was really interesting was when Bill talked about the motivation that Tom had and that it was to pay back the industry that had given him so much. It would be worth thinking about that, especially today, where we're seeing manufacturers and dealers just be so tight-fisted. The truth is that there's an industry that's bigger than all of us, and in a high tide, all ships rise. Another thing that I thought was really interesting in the conversation was Bill's honesty about Tom's work habits and hearing about what people said after he passed away. And it's just something to think about on what do you want your legacy to be? Have you found a way to harmonize your work in your personal life? Do you have healthy relationships with the people that you love and that you trust? Listening to Bill, Tom was obviously a mixed bag, like all of us are, but he did some unbelievable things that have benefited so many people that he never knew. My hope is that you do the same thing. Now, I want you to keep your life in order as you do that, but thinking about life from the perspective of open-handedness and generosity is truly the key. And me and Bill are actually going to get into this more in our next conversation on sales, but that's actually the key to being an amazing salesperson. And I'm really excited about that conversation. It's going to happen next season on the podcast. But if you guys want to get ready for it, 
you need to do a Google search for Bill Lentz, The Art of Sales. And chances are you're going to be able to find it. This was printed in Harthano Magazine a number of years ago. And I'm telling you, if you read that, it will change the way you interact with customers. And I'm just super excited for our conversation next time where we're going to dive deep into what Bill lives and breathes, which is how to create a connection with someone else to serve them and help them ultimately get what they want. Now, before we wrap up here, just to clue you guys in, like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, the second half of this season is going to be different, where we're not going to have traditional guests on. Instead, every single week, it's going to be me and Grant Falco diving into the eight departments of a hearth business. And then the last episode of the season is going to be a Q&A episode. So as we go through this, if you have questions, please email them to tim at itsfiretime.com. That's Tim at itsfiretime.com. Now, I'll give a teaser on the eight departments. Here they are. Leadership, sales, installation, service, grounds and warehouse, support staff, showroom, and marketing. We are going to do a deep dive on every single one of these. And I'm telling you, you do not want to miss these episodes. Now, if this podcast is something that's been a blessing for you, you can support it financially by going to patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash it's fire time. As the podcast is growing and growing, we are laser focused on delivering the best content possible. And in order to do that, we have to outsource some of the administrative work that it takes to run this thing. So your financial support helps us do that. And we are grateful for every penny. Lastly, if you haven't signed up for it yet, you need to check out the Firetime Network. So over the last year and a half, the community for this podcast has just grown exponentially. And we created the Firetime Network, which is kind of like Facebook, but for the fireplace industry. It's basically a social media platform where you can connect with other dealers, with manufacturers and distributors. But within it is also a library of content that you can use right away to grow your business. So if you want to connect with leaders and ultimately find that path to growth, you need to go to the firetimenetwork.com and sign up. That's the firetimenetwork.com. Well, I'm going to sign off for now. I thought this conversation was unbelievable and I hope it gave you some perspective into one of the legends of our industry. If you knew Tom personally, I hope that this just brought up amazing memories that you had of him. But in the meantime, I hope you guys can go out this week and be a blessing to the people around you. Our nation's hurting right now and we need leaders like you to show the way. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. The music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all in to burn. 